If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to the book of Philippians. Philippians uh, chapter 1. We are going to spend the next uh, few weeks going through this book, verse by verse, every single verse. There is a likelihood for you that if you've ever figured out what your favorite verses are, one of them comes from the book of Philippians. I don't know for sure, but just based on the way that most people interact with the book, it's one of people's favorite books in all of the Bible. Maybe your favorite verse is Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, which is really the central theme of the entire text, that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. Or maybe it comes in Philippians 1, 27, where we are instructed by Paul to let your manner of life be gospel-worthy. Some of you may love Philippians 2, verse 3, where it says, Do nothing for selfish ambition or conceit, but count others more important than you. And maybe, just maybe, it's the Christ hymn that we find in verses 4 through 11, that your attitude should be the exact same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. There's a possibility that comes in Philippians 3, uh, verse 14, a verse that I learned in a Wednesday night Bible study where I learned that I, would, I could press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Maybe it's Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 10, that we should rejoice in the Lord always, not to be anxious about everything, but in anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, whatever we do, do it as to the Lord. Possibly it's Philippians 4.13, a verse that you learned in FCA or while you were doing bench presses. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We love the book of Philippians. All of us do. Have you ever spent any time thinking about why we would even read this book? What the purpose of the book is? If you are unfamiliar with Paul, Paul is in prison. He spends a lot of time in prison. He is imprisoned through lots of the New Testament. That's how he had so much time to write. And while he is in prison, he's writing a letter to this church. But to understand what's taking place as he writes the letter to the church, we have to think through this. What took place so that this church would be established where he would even write a letter to them? That took place ten years before. What were you doing ten years ago? You may not know what you were doing three minutes ago. Uh, but 10 years ago, it, it seems to be a long time. I, I can think as to what I was doing 10 years ago. I was on staff at a church, and they asked me to be the interim pastor. And every single Sunday, I, I had to wear a suit with a tie, and that was neat. And, and I wore glasses. That was cool. I, I, I still should wear glasses, just so that we are clear. My vision did not fix itself, even though I was wearing corrective lenses. Uh, I, uh, I preached every single Sunday to this congregation of sweet senior adults. What were you doing ten years ago? What was taking place in your life ten years ago? And how has that shaped who you are and how you would respond to what you think about when you think about that time? When we pick up with Paul, he is in the church. At, he's writing a letter to the church at Philippi. It's the very first church that we see established in Europe. And this is the first church that is going to make a declaration in the middle of a Roman world that believes that Caesar is king. And their declaration is this. It's very unique for these Gentile people, these Greek people to say, 
We've always been told that Caesar is king, and we get that, but here's the thing. We've got a new king, and he is Jesus. And and to make the story even weirder, we believe that our king died, and he actually came out of the grave. That's who our king happens to be. It's this church that's established, uh, and Paul, Silas, and, and Timothy, they establish it, and we see it in Acts chapter 16. It was written, this letter is written 10 years later when Paul is in prison at Rome and he's under house arrest to Nero. And maybe you don't even know how prison works, but you've watched some television and you've seen people in orange jumpsuits, orange jumpsuits shooting jumpers in the prison yard or doing bench press stuff. This is a very bench press focused sermon thus far. Maybe that's what you've seen. That's not how prisons work in the Bible. It's more than likely a cave, a damp cave. A cave where he is handcuffed to a centurion guard. And Paul writes this letter from this prison cell, this cave where no one's feeding him, no one's caring for him, other than this distant church, to say, you keep the faith, you hold fast to the faith. Because even though things seem tough, and things seem difficult, and things seem hard, he who started a good work in you is faithful to complete that. The captors, they don't provide food for you. So Paul writes this letter with that in mind. He he writes this letter to a group of people who are attempting to meet his needs. The the church is a unique place. So hear from me as I read Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Feel free to look along with me. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and the deacons, Grace to you and peace from our Lord and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. From God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. I always praying with joy for all of you in my very every prayer. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this. That he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all my partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will... Keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Filled with the fruits of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of our God. Paul is expressing to the church at Philippi his fond appreciation for them, his deep care for them. And as he writes this letter, he's letting us know how much they mean to him. However, something bigger is happening because as he writes this letter, God is using the words of this imprisoned man to communicate to each and every one of us who are in relationship with him what it means for God to be continually faithful. That God is just as faithful 2,000 years removed from the writing of this letter as He was when He wrote it to this small, small church that was established in northern Greece. 
that God is saying to each and every one of us who may be struggling, may be having a hardship right now, may be going through something that is hard to even understand, that He who started a good work in you, He is absolutely faithful to complete that work. That God is going to care for you. That God is going to remind you of His good, good grace. That Christ is faithful to us. And that is the key to all of life from start to finish. Jesus is faithful. And that we as His people respond by declaring the faithfulness of Jesus. So just so that we make sure we're working it out in the text, it starts again, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. If you are unfamiliar with Paul and Timothy, think Batman and Robin. That's kind of how they work when we look through the Scriptures. They are tag-teamed together numerous times. Paul can function without Timothy. Timothy doesn't always function without Paul. You see this unity and how God has given Timothy a... A model. He's shown him how to live. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. The word saints there may be something that scares you. Maybe you've got a background that's tied to the idea of sainthood. The word is referring to all believers. Anyone who is confident in the work of Christ Jesus is a saint. You may say, you don't know me. I don't, but God does. And this is what he says about you, so I'll take him over you. These are not super-Christians, as a matter of fact. They're, they're not that in any way, shape, or form. These are people who have been declared right through the work of Jesus to all of the saints. And then he goes on to say, and to the elders and the pastors. A side note. I've got the saints, and then I've got these other guys, and I'll address them too. Paul's relationship with the church is one that is pretty incredible because it's been going for ten whole years. And it started ten years ago, like we said... Hey, It's the warmest relationship that we see him having in all of the New Testament letters. He likes Philippi. He is mean to some of the other churches. But when he talks in Philippi, to the church at Philippi, he's helping us to remember all that God has done for him through this church. It starts in Acts chapter 16. There's a lady named Lydia who the Lord saves after she hears Paul's story. She's the one who, she is a wealthy lady. She sells purple. I don't know why you would sell that color of a Crayola, but she does. She cares for the church. The church is tied to her. There's this girl who's there. She is demon-possessed. She keeps chasing Paul and Silas around, screaming. She's a fortune teller. Little voodoo mumbo-jumbo. And and she is following after Paul and Silas, and she says, these are servants of the Most High God. In my head, that's how she sounds. (laughs) Grouchy, angry, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Paul likes to roll a little bit more incognito than that. The Bible says, it doesn't say Paul was afraid of her or that Silas was scared. It just says Paul was annoyed and said, get out. And the demon left. And she started talking plain again. But this frustrates everybody. Because this girl who could go around telling the future was someone who made lots of money for her owners. Paul's thrown in prison. This is just what was planned, evidently. Because when he gets in prison, there's a jailer called the Philippian Jailer. That's kind of where we get the name. It happens there. There's a situation that takes place in the night that frees Paul and Silas from the prison. Yet they don't leave. And this guy says, hey, what am I supposed to do to be saved? All of these miraculous things that you see take place in the book, among the church at Philippi, are helpful for us. 
We're not sure, as we know that two of these people were converted. There's a possibility that all three of them were. But as I say regularly, Meatloaf taught us two out of three ain't bad. If we're playing baseball, a batting at percentage of six six seven is really, really good. Two conversions at least, more than likely three. And Paul is addressing this church, making reference to all that he's done through the history of these people. And we get to the place in verse 3 where he begins to talk to us about care. About the way they care for him and how they're called to care moving forward. There is a deep affection that Paul has for the church at Philippi. And this deep affection is based in their deep affection for him. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. I love that verse. I remember the first Bible someone ever gave me, they underlined that verse. And they told me that they thanked God for every remembrance of me. And I thought to myself, why do you know me? I'm a doofus. No. I need to thin the crowd out and hear some. I give thanks for every remembrance of you. Every time I think about this church, I have a deep set affection for you. Always praying with joy for all of you in every prayer. Swelling up how much these people mean to him. It's interesting, just over the last three and a half years, as I've had conversations about the people who meet together in here every Sunday. The, the people who I interact with that are not from here, and just tell them over and over how much I love our people, how much I care for our people, how grateful I am for this group of people, and how God has used this group of people in my life. Paul goes on to say in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now this word in some translations is the word fellowship. Now I grew up Baptist, forgive me for that. Growing up Baptist, you have a hall dedicated to fellowship. It is a hall dedicated. There, uh, There are lucky pots that show up every now and then. There are rules for Baptist fellowship when I attend one. The first question that I ask when I see the plethora of food, this bountiful abundance of casseroles is, question number one, did Hope make it? Because that's kind of how I roll when it comes to eating anything. Did Hope make it? If she made it, it's good. Even if it's something I don't like, I'll eat it. That's how you get this size. Then number two, the second question I ask is, if Hope did not make it, do I know the person who did make it? Like, do I know them? Not just, oh yeah, I've seen them before, but do I know them? Question number three is, if I know them, do they have a cat? Because if they have a cat, I mean, I may eat it, but I'm going to have to push that out of my head. Number four is, if one and two are unknown, does this food look good? And if it looks good, and most things look good to me, I eat it. So just know, if you bring something to a Lucky Pot gathering, I will eat it. But that's not what's taking place in this passage. This does not mean they just ate chicken at a potluck together. This is a business partnership. They are this grace-saturated gospel business. So as a pastor of this church, I get to say thank you. I don't know if you've been told that 2020 was different, but we hear that a lot. And 2021 ain't off to a rousing start. And whenever you see those things, there are fears that may run through your mind, may cause concern in your heart. We get to say thank you as the elders and the pastors of this church 
for the way that you have lined up your resources for the sake of gospel purpose. Financially, God blessed us this year as a church. And we were able to continue with partnerships, with missionaries, both in here and abroad. We didn't have to make any phone calls that are super weird. Like, there are phone calls when you go, hey, missionary, we can't give you money anymore. That's a weird call. We didn't have to do that. We're able to continue to support churches. We're able to support ministries here. And that's because our people have chosen to be faithful in the way they partnered with gospel purpose. We've not had to do services with the lights off in this building. That'd be odd. Maybe we should, especially when people are mean to me from the booth. (laughs) We get the concept of partnership. Being a follower of Jesus does not mean that you just fellowship. Fellowship's cool. But it's more than just playing board games. It's bigger than that. We didn't have to pull away from missions. We actually took next steps in mission. New relationships. We continue to support the Pregnancy Help Center, which we are grateful for, both as a church and many of us personally. So if you hear anything from me, just know you're, I want you to be affirmed as the people of God who gather here together. Paul's deep affection for the church at Philippi is one that I feel when I think about this last year. Next, we see confidence. Because there's a confidence there. Because Christian character is displayed when we join in gospel work. It's actively doing something for the sake of the God who's done something in you. He says in verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it out onto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So for every fear in the heart of a believer, know that the work that God is doing in you, He will bring to its fruition. He will bring to its completion. He will complete it. This, this is echoing everything that Philippi at large has been hearing from their Roman lords. This, is a, this phrase is tied to Roman rule. Because this city was founded after the battle of Philippi. And they named it Philippi because they weren't creative. And Caesar Octavian, he defeats Brutus. Rather than killing all the opposing forces, he lets them live in Philippi. And he says this, complete the battle once begun. We're going to keep this thing moving. And here, Paul, as he's handcuffed to a Roman guard, uses Roman language to say, our king does more. God has started the journey of moving Christianity around the world, and he will complete it. There is nothing that will bring an end to the reign and rule of King Jesus. There will be no political decision that's made that will undo what the church is and what God would have the church to be. God will make Himself known and make Himself clear over and over, providing hope after hope after hope, because hope is found in Him. Genuine faith in Jesus and loyalty to Him as King, not Caesar. You are not loyal to Caesar primarily. Shows that the gospel has worked in the hearts of human beings. Verse 7, Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about you. Paul loves this church. 
because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace. There's that word again, fellowship. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So two things are happening there. I don't want us to miss them. Confident in the defense of the faith. So through their partnership and care, Paul is able to continue to carry out gospel conversations. Paul is talking to people who do not know Jesus about what it means to align their lives with King Jesus. So for those of us who are in right relationship with God, who are in fellowship with God, the partnership with God that God's called us to, He would say to you, are you having conversations about the King that is Jesus? Are you declaring that He is King? I've got a group of men that I, I meet with, and, and we have others that are meeting who are discussing things. And we talk about what it means to have our hope in Jesus based upon the teaching of the Scriptures. Some of our guys are going to work, and they're talking about gospel truth as the opportunity arises with our lost co-workers. They're stuck in there with our guy. Just like this prison guard is stuck to Paul, more than likely hearing the message of Jesus as he's handcuffed to him and wet water drips on his... Because water's wet. It drips on his head in this cave. I think about our men who are having conversations about the goodness of Jesus while they're at work. We're confident to defend our faith. Are you confident to defend your faith? To speak the truth of who God is in love and mercy and in ways that show that Jesus is good. And He's not just someone that you interact with because you gather together at a building like this, but He's someone that you know. He's someone that you trust changes lives. Next thing that we see is a confirmation. But Paul is confident in this gospel. He's also confirming that Paul is continuing to ground believers in the truth. Throughout our church right now, there are various discipleship groups that are just popping up, like popcorn. Pop, pop, pop. Snap, crackle, pop. And as they pop up, what's taking place is groups of men and groups of women are gathering together for long periods of time around the message of Jesus that we see in the Scriptures. A group of members of our church gather together around the Scriptures and they ask themselves, why does the Bible say what it says? Because we're learning to realize, all of us, as we are... On this path together, what we have to realize is being a disciple of Jesus is not just about your conversion. It's about a continuation of what God has done. God is continually doing work in His people. You are still here on this earth living and breathing because God is not finished with your mission here. That we would affirm that, that we would believe that because we have a King and He is good and His name is Jesus. Verse 8, for, my God, for God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul circles back to this, this deep affection for this church. Caring for them, loving them, affirming them, encouraging them, pushing them forward. Finally, he closes with a charge. Paul's a preacher, and when he prays, he charges. That's just what we do. If I ever preach a message and I forget stuff, I just work it into the prayer at the end. Hopefully you guys have one eye open while you take those notes. 9 through 11. I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with, with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. A few things are happening in those passages, let's not, in those verses. Let's not miss how Paul charges us with his prayer. 
This is not just about what you know, we find out in verse 9. The idea of love. This is not just about what you know in your head and that you learn from a book. Hear me, you can read books and books are helpful. You can listen to podcasts and podcasts are wonderful. But this is a love that is available to everyone who has placed trust in Jesus. In the same sense that there were no super saints in the church, there are no super saints in here because the God who reveals himself to you through the death and resurrection of Jesus and who seals you with his spirit is just as meaningful to any of us who trust him as he is those who may stand on a stage like this or who may wax poetic in a Bible study. The truth of Jesus is enough so that you may approve the things he says in verse 10 that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Pure and blameless. Those are temple words that he's using. Sincere and without fault is what they mean. It conveys that they're going beyond the temple, resu- the temple regulations of sacrificing animals that are the cleanest. It's saying we as followers of Jesus do more than that. We don't just offer up sacrifices with our stuff. We offer up sacrifices with our lives. Lives that move, move toward the gospel. Filled, with verse 11, with fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul is pointing out to this church, to the church at Philippi and to the church here, that we are to be people who have a pure personal integrity and who are blameless, meaning that good good character survives false accusations. Why? Why in the world would God want us to hear these things? Why would God want us to know these things? Why would God want these truths to roll around in our hearts? Why would God want these truths to do more than simply inform us but transform us? Because this is God's doing. Your place in your community, your place in your neighborhood, your place in your place, if you were in Christ Jesus as a saint, comes with gospel purpose. A declaration of hope in, dark, in despair, of light in darkness. We use a phrase a lot that we should rest in the Lord. I believe that you should rest in the Lord. That, that's really important. The Bible teaches us that. But why do we rest? Because I mean, Paul, the, the New Testament writers are using a corollary when they tell us to rest. You don't rest so you don't have to get up and do anything. You rest so that you can act. You rest in Jesus so that you can do things for the sake of Jesus. This is not spiritual laziness that the Bible takes us to. We rest. We don't rest for rest's sake. We do not rest for rest's sake. We rest for the sake of action. When we consider the risk of of using our stuff, time, talent, and treasure for the sake of Jesus, we don't risk for risk's sake. We're not gamblers. We risk for the sake of mission. We're living out God's gospel purpose in this world. The word righteousness here, it doesn't just mean this declaration, though though that's throughout much of the New Testament. It's not just about your state. The, The actual word here in this passage in particular means right living. It's about your action as behaving as a forgiven member of the family of God. So, when Paul prays this prayer, in verses 9 through 11, what what he's saying to us is very clear and very true. I pray that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, 
that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through the, Jesus Christ to the glory of, and praise of God. But let's not miss that that's for us. That those words are to sit on me and to sit on you. That Paul is praying. What I hope that I remember to pray for you. That your love will keep swelling up in our people as they know the word of God and make decisions based upon it. That when people interact with us, they see that we can tell the difference between good and evil and that we live that out with a purity that honors Jesus. That we are filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. God is doing thousands and thousands and thousands of things and you may just notice too. Let's not miss what he's doing and would have us to how he would have us to respond to what he's doing. Being God's people in this world, based on the teachings of Scripture, a knowledge is based in the heart of God for humanity. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, I thank you for this people. Lord, and I do. I pray these things over them. I pray that your love will keep swelling up in our people as they know your word and as they make daily decisions. God, I pray that we can tell the difference between what is good and what is evil and that we would live out the purity that you've offered to us. Father, I pray that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness, right living that comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who gives us life. Father, even today, I pray that you would affect this community through the message of the gospel. Lived out by this body of believers. If you're not a believer in the room, I'm going to be in the back, my right-hand corner. I would love to talk to you about what it means for God to do a saving work in you. If you are a believer in Jesus, I pray that this text would sit on your heart. And that you would respond in action because of it.